Welcome to the Father Jim Willig Gospel Teachings Podcast, presented by Heart to Heart, a Catholic media ministry. Father Jim was a well-known and much-loved diocesan priest from Cincinnati, Ohio. Inspired by God's Word, for many years, Father Jim presented a weekly Bible study on the Sunday Gospels. In 2001, Father Jim went home to the Lord after a battle with cancer, but his recordings and teachings live on to inspire thousands. First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows. A reading from the Holy Gospel, according to John. Pilate said to Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own, or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom did belong to this world, my attendants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not here. So Pilate said to him, Then you are a king. Jesus answered, You say, I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. The Gospel of the Lord. This Sunday we celebrate the great feast of Christ the King. This particular feast originated by Pope Pius XI in the year 1925 in order to counteract the growing tide of secularism, materialism, and atheism in the world. Pius XI established this feast in honor of Christ the King to promote his sovereignty over all the world, to dedicate, if you will, the entire earth and all its inhabitants to Christ who is our Lord. Originally, I learned that the Feast of Christ the King actually was celebrated on the Feast of the Ascension, for what might be obvious to you. It is on the Feast of Ascension that Jesus, of course, we remember, was raised up to the heavens to take the seat at the right hand of the Father, sitting on that throne of majesty. And in the language and image of the book of Revelation, We are told that Jesus sits on the throne, crowned with glory and honor, and his name, the book of Revelation says, 
is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The image that comes immediately to my mind is the beautiful mosaic in our sanctuary, the cathedral upstairs. This is the, one of the largest mosaics in this country, I'm told. And it's a Venetian glass that has been gold-plated on the paint, that is, it's so that it reflects that glory and majesty of Christ who sits so prominently on the throne with his right hand, you would recall, raised in the traditional sign of blessing. So, although we tend to think of Christ now ascended into heaven as in his nice retirement years, what the book of Revelation reminds us is, no, he sits now to oversee the world in an active way. In fact, he intercedes for us continually. It's unfortunate, I guess, that this name, King, has such a negative turn and twist in our day and age when monarchy is more or less on its way out and democracy is so much in. You would probably admit, as I would see, that royalty is often clothed in a type of royalty that is high and mighty and really distant from the people, most especially common people who are struggling or suffering in their lives. Maybe that does explain, by the way, the particular appeal that Princess Diana had in that she gave a new face to royalty in her compassion to those who are in plight or in suffering. And I think much to her credit, that's what Mother Teresa, I think, admired about Princess Diana. With her, maybe as an exception, we'd have to say that royalty has had the reputation anyway of being associated with opulence and palaces and power and a multitude of servants. Hardly anything that we could relate to in our day and age. However, this Feast of Christ the King reverses that whole royal association or definition or description. The image that this gospel presents us is a whole different picture of what it means to say Jesus is our Lord and King. This gospel, if you will, presents the confrontation between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of the world we can see personified in Pontius Pilate and the kingdom of Jesus exemplified par excellence in Jesus Christ. So we see in this gospel we're about to look at the Pilate versus Jesus as typifying the constant battle between the values of the world against the values of God and the kingdom of God. A little background, though, before we launch into the gospel itself. History records the fact that Pontius Pilate was, more or less, a corrupt Roman procurator, that is to say, governor in Palestine in the time of Christ. In fact, interestingly, you might have read this, archaeologists have discovered in the last few years a particular stone that was 
on earth, on the underside of it, was the inscription of Pontius Pilate, establishing him in this time in history for this position he held as the governor of this region. In any case, even Rome had trouble with Pontius Pilate because eventually they removed him from his position as governor. In today's gospel, we see Jesus on trial. Someone said to me recently, our nation is so mesmerized, sometimes obsessed with trials, not least of which is the O.J. Simpson trial or whatever the trial may be, that there's actually a cable station now called Court TV. There's a whole channel given to this. Interesting. I wonder why this is. But anyway, trials play a very important role in the gospel and throughout the Bible. You can think of Peter and Paul often brought to trial. Is that testing place where we decide what's right, what's wrong, who's who, and what's true. And that's what we see on this stage that John, the evangelist of this particular gospel we're studying, will dramatically present to us. It's in his wonderful style of irony, although Jesus is the one on trial, John will present it as if Pilate's really the one on trial. Pilate is the one who's forced to decide for or against Jesus. And as such, he will ultimately be judged an accomplice in the crucifixion of Jesus. We know that Pilate must have known that Jesus was being accused of what was lies or trumped up charges. Pilate must have known that there was an innocence and a goodness about Jesus. Pilate must have known that he was an extraordinary man by the very charismatic effect he had on people that would so threaten the religious leaders and authorities that would bring this preposterous case against him. And yet, we see Pilate as someone who was not able to stand on truth and stand on his conscience or conviction and ultimately try to wash his hands, literally, of any responsibility. In other words, as I said, he exemplifies the ways of the world that pervade all of us at times when we are tempted to, quote, look out for number one. And that's what Pilate ultimately does. He tries to do this in a number of ways. You remember, he tries to hand over responsibility to others. Someone once said, the only place in all the gospel where there's ever a vote, it's when Pilate asks for a vote of who to release, Jesus or Barabbas. So much for the democratic process. But because of that, one could argue, Pilate was politically correct. He took a poll of the people and he followed public opinion. He was politically correct, though obviously he was morally wrong because he did not follow his conscience. He did not listen to his wife. <laughs> that should go a long ways. Who had a dream, you might remember, and said, be careful. 
And remember, dreams are the place of revelation where God reveals his truths when our defenses are down. So Pilate is any one of us who has a hard time really discovering truth, standing on truth, and willing to pay the price for truth. That's why it's the ultimate question the Pilate keeps raising, what is truth? Well, we could ask ourselves that, given any situation, facing any decision. And what is truth and how do we know truth? And what does it ask of us? So we see in Pilate a certain part of all of us that's tempted to be political in terms of the art of compromise. Pilate was the consummate politician. Sorry if, for the association if I offend any political people, but any politician would say it's about the art of compromise. I want to be intentionally critical of the overstatement today of being politically correct when we need to be asking what is morally or spiritually right. That's got to be our question. And it may even at times make us stand up or take a stand for that which may appear to be politically incorrect, if that makes sense. Well, I attended this past week a wonderful lecture by a biblical scholar, and he was saying that it's unfashionable today to be talking about the years A.D. or B.C. Have you heard this? Uh, A.D., you know, Anno Domino, Year of the Lord, and B.C. meaning before Christ. The more politically correct thing to do today, he said, is to talk about C.E., that is Common Era, and B.C.E., before the Common Era, because then that doesn't offend anybody who's not Christian. You understand? But he said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be politically correct here. I am a Christian, and I believe Jesus is the one who gives meaning to our history. And so I will talk about the year of the Lord. All due respect to people who may want to define it or describe it differently. But I have to stand on what I know to be true. That Jesus is at the center of our human history. And I love that. And maybe he's a person who, in a small way, was trying to make a, a real statement. In any case, it's more important that we try to hear and learn and know what statement do we need to make at times. According to what is God asking of us? What's the truth of our situation? All that is the backdrop to this gospel. And I hope it's helpful because I think to understand any gospel helps to give some background then we can come now to this wonderful dialogue between Pilate and Jesus. But hear this now as the way of the world versus the way of God. And so this dialogue continues in our lives. In fact, I often think it plays as a cacophony in my own mind. Yes, no, should I, no, what? And we go back and forth, can hear these voices contending and contesting for our attention continually in our own heads and hearts. Pilate will raise three questions. Each question gives Jesus the opportunity to define his kingship and kingdom that stands in utter stark contrast to Pilate's 
kingdom or the kingdom of the world. First question, you might recall, right to the heart of the issue, Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? You would understand that this question does have some political ramifications. If Jesus is viewed as a king, then he could be understood as challenging Roman authority of the emperor, the king, if you will, Caesar Augustus. And this is why the religious authority knew if they brought Jesus to trial, they had to give a reason, accuse him for a purpose that would uh, appeal to what would be offensive to the Roman court of justice. So thus proclaim himself king. But to a Jewish person, we understand this in terms of the Messiah, and this was blasphemy to them. But this is at the very heart of the Christian message. Is Jesus the king? We need to ask ourselves that question. Is he our king? Does he rule our life? Does Jesus really make any difference? Does he order us? Oh, one person once said the one virtue that's kind of out of vogue today is obedience because nobody likes to take orders from anybody. And yet that's very much to the heart of making Jesus the Lord of our life. That we no longer are the ones calling the shots, doing our will or what we want to do. But Jesus is dictating and leading and ruling us in every way. So this first question is the greatest question we need to be asking ourselves. Is Jesus the king? Not of the Jews, but for me, for us. Jesus says, in answer, are you saying this on your own? Or have others been telling you about me? Now here we have kind of a turning the role, kind of a role reversal, where although Pilate was interrogating Jesus, Jesus now begins to interrogate Pilate. As I said earlier, it is really Pilate who's now on trial. As are we. We are being tested, if you will, every day according to where our greatest allegiance is. And we are being put on and through many trials and all of our trials, troubles and tribulations ultimately will reveal our truest person. You know what I'm saying? Words are cheap, but actions tell the story, especially in difficulty. And so when we go through these tough times, that shows how much we really believe. It's easy to believe in Jesus when everything is all sweet and beautiful. And of course, as you know, it's just difficult to know, really believe in the Lord when we're in that dark night of the soul, as we sometimes say, or in a very difficult crisis. But that's when we're put to the test, that's when our faith is really on trial in a manner of speaking. Now, Pilate, typically of the human condition, I think, acts very defensively. His response, you recall, is, hey, I'm no Jew. Hey, don't jump on me. Hey, it's your people who handed you over in the chief priest. Get off my back. 
you know, this is very defensive language and posture. And the thing about you would know this being defensive is it creates this distance from really listening to the truth. In fact, Jesus was asking Pilate these questions. Are you asking this for yourself or have others put you up to it to find out, are you really sincere? Do you really want to know? And Pilate couldn't handle it. Does this make sense? Because this is what Jesus is asking us. Do you really want to know, come to know who I am and what it means to follow me, that is to live in the kingdom of God? Do you really want to know? And uh, I'm reminded of St. Augustine, who once prayed so honestly, Dear Jesus, please make me chaste, but not yet. Because once we find out the truth of what the Lord is asking of us, it's so demanding of us. It calls forth so much change often in us. So Pilate is typically defensive, and it even seems he refuses to take personal responsibility and wants to just blame the people who sent him, the Jews, the religious authorities. Look, he wants to put the blame on them, even though, mind you, he is entirely, quote, free to act on his own. And I think that's so typical of our behavior today, I'm finding, is so few people want to take responsibility for their actions. And there's a tendency in all of us. I found myself, just the other day, I was rushing out of the, the rectory, and my pocket of my hands caught on the door handle and it broke off. So my way of explaining it to the maintenance man was my pocket broke the uh, <laughs> the handle. <laughs> How convenient of me to speak in the third person like that. My pocket. If my pocket didn't do those things, we'd be all right. You know, it is. It's how we talk. It's hard to just take responsibility because it, it takes humility takes humility to say, yeah, I, I'm somewhat responsible. And that's how we always need to check ourselves. Again, it's allowing yourself to take the stand and to let the light come on us. So this is what Pilate wasn't willing to do. Now, in not being willing to do that, he continues to stay in the dark. He continues to stay in the dark in terms of ignorance. He never comes to the full light of who Jesus is. He continues to stay in the dark as to what his responsibility is and what's really happening here and where he could be a totally free man. Think of what Pilate could have done. Think of the potential of Pontius Pilate. And now consider for a moment the potential we have to make things right in the world. As you heard it often quoted, and I love this quote if I can get it right, the worst thing in the world is not that there's so much bad, but that there's so many good people who are not willing to do that, which is good. That we don't realize our potential. That we as a Christian people in this nation have the greatest potential to turn around this Roe versus Wade ruling that allows abortion and even partial birth abortion. There, there's no reason we shouldn't be turning this around, except that we're just not getting it together. That is just one obvious case. There's so many other ways we could speak about justice for the poor, 
and the oppressed, where we're needing to give our attention. We are on trial. One person once said, if we were put on trial for being Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Hmm. Would there be enough evidence to convict us? Or would we have to plead the fifth? Jesus, in response to Pilate, says, My kingdom does not belong to this world. Clearly, Pilate is thinking of a political kingdom. Jesus is thinking of a spiritual kingdom. And they're literally worlds apart from each other. They're even talking different vocabulary. They're not understanding each other at all. They're on totally different wavelengths. Just think of the wave as being the spirit, the Holy Spirit, or a very secular, worldly spirit. Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, my subjects would be fighting to save me. He's almost saying, Pilate, what are you feeling so threatened about? It's not like I have an army ready to conquer. If that were necessary, that could be. But my army of angels is not in this world. I shouldn't say it that way because I think they are, but the kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is trying to shed some light on Pilate who continues to hide in his own ignorance because, you know, you can plead innocence out of ignorance. But please understand, of course, this is very culpable morally culpable guilt. And Pilate is guilty of being an accomplice by not learning what was right here, by not taking the time to more carefully, conscientiously discern and decide in favor of truth. And we, are we not as guilty as ourselves? Amen. Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son, Jesus, to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.